0: Have you seen Back to the Future? Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Narrative First podcast, the weekly podcast where story is always king. I am your host, Jim Hull, the voice of Narrative First, and this is episode number 18, Does your main character build resistance or facilitate flow? Welcome back, everyone, to another week of story structure and story analysis. Hope you had a great weekend. This week is a short one here in the U.S. Uh, We'll be continuing our discussion of the audience appreciations. Uh, This week we'll be talking about the tendency of the main character, whether or not they're willing or unwilling to participate in the story and where that comes from. And, uh, you know, in the process of actually writing the article, I, I came up with something similar to last week, probably not as illuminating or as revelatory as last week, but still kind of an interesting take on tendency. Uh, quickly, a bit of follow-up. Uh, I went ahead and put the through line Thursdays on the front page. So there'll be a random one up there each time you go to the site. Uh, you'll be able to see, you know, I've been doing it for about three months now. So there's a whole bunch up there that you can click through in case you missed one. And it just is there to help you understand how the domains of a narrative work together. You know, it's, it's a big part of Dramatica, a big part to understand. But once you, you get that part, it's almost like that's 80%, 90% of the battle. Like if you know where the through lines are of your narrative, the main character through line, the influence character through line, the relationship story, and the overall story through line, and, and what areas of conflict they focus on, then, you know, everything else is just icing on top of the cake after that. You you get that big part in there, and you've got yourself a great, great story. I also went ahead and turned the switch on for an e-course that I've been working on over the summer. It's a nine-step email course. It's free for anybody who's interested. Uh, It's called From Logline to Treatment, and the idea is that you can start out with a two-to-three-sentence logline or idea of some kind of story you have, and then day by day, it works every other day right now, uh, every two days, you'll be given a new story point to kind of layer into your story. And uh, it's kind of similar to the master storyteller method that Melanie has on her site, but it's my own unique take on it. Uh, and you will, what it is, is I, I give you access to your own Quip folder. Quip is the collaborative uh, tool that we use uh, with our clients here at Narrative First. And so I'll set you up with that. And then you can just sit there and we can go back and forth. uh, Just kind of build up a, you know, a brief synopsis into what will turn into a a pretty cool and pretty strong treatment, you know, like a one-page treatment, a a leave behind that you can leave for somebody. It'll be more than what you started out with. It won't be a full narrative, but it'll have, you know, all the makings of a full narrative. Essentially, you know, those for lines. If you are interested in signing up for it, uh, you will want to go to narrativefirst.com slash courses slash from logline to treatment slash enroll. And of course, I will be giving you a link to that in the show notes. The email course is for anyone, you know, whether or not you're just starting out with Dramatica or you've been using it for a long time and you just want to see how you would approach using dramatic and kind of this layered backwards process. So feel free to sign up whenever you want to, and I hope to hear from you soon. And that's it for follow-up this week, and now on to some analysis. this week I saw two films. I saw Nice Guys with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe and then I saw Sing Street which is uh, an independent film about mid-80s Dublin uh, and this kid who is enamored with MTV videos. Have you seen Back to the Future? Which I can completely relate to and how he develops and builds a band uh, there in the neighborhood to kind of give people you know something to believe in something to you know live their dreams out and uh that it's a really really great story first i'll do nice guys so it's really funny it's fun to watch the two of them are awesome together and shane black it's got you know great action very funny uh, the narrative is not quite as functional as it probably could be biggest problem of course is deciding you know who the main character is at first it seems like it's uh, russell crowe's character Because there's lots about Ryan Gosling that we don't know. We don't know why he's in the house. We don't know, you know, what his little machinations are behind the scenes. But we do get an idea of of what it's like to be uh, Russell's character and, and what he goes through. But then about halfway through or three quarters of the way through, uh, there's this complete dream sequence where Ryan Gosling kind of loses his mind. And while it's funny, it's a bit disconcerting because now all of a sudden then we're inside his head and then it seems like, okay, well, maybe maybe it's his story. And so when you switch back and forth like that, uh, especially in a story like this, it's not an overly complicated, you know, two main character story. It's It really is just, you know, one or the other Uh, And when you switch back and forth like that, it just gets kind of schizophrenic. And at that point, uh, it just feels like the the film ends a couple times. And you think it's over, but then it goes on again, and it's over, and it goes on again. And so it just becomes basically how the the plot will play out and how the the bad guys will be taken down, as opposed to anything, you know, truly meaningful, Uh, like Sing Street. Now, Sing Street is fantastic, and this is the first time I actually started using some of the audience appreciations that I've been working on over the last couple of weeks to kind of find out where the through lines are in the story. And so I thought it might be fun to, to share that with you first. Uh, last week I talked about the difference between whether or not a film feels overwhelming or surmountable. You know, do the tasks to the characters, do they feel overwhelmed by it? You know, does, are the problems dogging them or are they dogging the, the problems? Are they going after them? Are they surmountable? And clearly, in Sing Street, it's surmountable. You never get this feeling like, you know, while the economic condition in Ireland is not the greatest, it's not something that's overwhelming, something that can't be handled. And so I would definitely say it's surmountable, which means that the growth and story judgment of that film will either be start good or stop bad. And a huge spoiler, you might want to zip ahead if you haven't seen it yet, but it ends really well. So it's clearly a start good story, at least if if what I wrote about last week was correct, it would be a start good story. And then this week, uh, we'll get into it more. But essentially, whether or not the main character is unwilling or willing, I actually have better understanding of that. But I don't want to quite get into it right now. I don't want to spoil the article this week. But I would say definitely, he's a willing character, which would make him a doer in an action story for sure. So a doer in an action story is, is someone who's willing to participate in the, the story's events. And there's a whole explanation to that, which I will get into in a little while. But so far we have a doer in an action story and start good. And if you know how the throughlines work in Dramatica, you know that a start relationship means the overall story will be in a dependent relationship with the main character throughline. So what does that mean? So most of Dramatica is based on uh, the dynamic pairs. So everything that's diagonally across from each other in the structural chart has the greatest potential for conflict, you know, either positive or negative conflict. And that's, you know, that's what it's based on because it's it's kind of a linear mindset, a, a male mental sex approach to things where it's, you know, either this one or that one. It's all about the separateness between things. And so the diagonals are the most important. But you also, in each quad, you have uh, two other relationships. You actually have three others, but we're just going to talk about the other two relationships. And one pair is the companion pair. And another one is called the dependent pair. And the companion pair are the horizontal ones. And they're kind of like the most similar. And then the dependent pairs are the ones that are the most different. So uh, if you think of the the genre or domain level, you have situation activity, uh, psychology or manner of thinking, and fixed attitude. Situation and fixed attitude, those are dynamic pairs, those are diagonally cross. And activities and manner of thinking, those are dynamic pairs and those are diagonally cross. So the situation and activity pairing is one where they're right next to each other and they're companion pairs, and those are ones that are most similar. So you have an external situation and an external activity. And at the domain level, those feel the most similar because sometimes it's hard to tell. Ask anybody who's writing a novel or any kind of story with Dramatica. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between Uh, a problem with an external situation or a problem with an external activity. Sometimes it's really difficult to determine the two. Likewise, with a fixed attitude or a manner of thinking, it's like, well, what's the difference between a fixed attitude and a manner of thinking? Those are companion pairs, as opposed to a dependent pair, which has the situation and psychology or manner of thinking through lines in a pairing, or the activity and fixed attitude pairing as a dependent relationship. And those have the you know, broadest range. I mean, you have an external situation and an internal process, it's kind of hard to understand how those two fit together. Or you have an external process and an internal state, an internal fixed state of mind. And those are called dependent pairs. And when it comes to the main character's growth, when it comes to whether or not they need to grow by, you know, stopping something by dropping some, you know, bad characteristic, whether within themselves or outside in the environment, or whether or not the focus is on what's there, what's lacking, you know, what they need to start doing, that will tell you how the overall story throughline relates to the main character throughline. So even if you don't have the software, you can do this in your head. So if it's a stop story, if it's something they have to get rid of, then the overall story and the main character story throughline will be in a companion pairing. They'll be right next to each other horizontally. If it's a start story, then that means they'll be in a dependent relationship And which is a vertical relationship. So going back to Sing Street, we know that it's start good and we know that he's a doer in an action story. So that means either he is in an overall situation and he's working towards um, a psychology overall story. Or he's in uh, activity and he's trying to work towards a fixed attitude mindset. I can tell you the latter is completely not it. I mean, he's most definitely a doer in a situation situation. He's completely defined by who he is, how much money he has, uh, the shoes he wears to school, uh, his looks, and, you know, the that would put the overall story in psychology, which is interesting to me because usually I would probably vacillate between activity or uh, psychology for the overall story because you know, there's a lot going on, there's a lot of manipulation going on within the relationships, but then there's also, you know, they're participating in making videos and you know getting beat up by bullies at school and all all that typical stuff but with this new understanding of the appreciations knowing that it's a very surmountable uh, task that he's dealing with it's really clear to me that it's start good it has to be and and when i went through the entire story form it actually played out that was perfect so putting him in main character through line of situation and the overall story in psychology that would put his influence character in fixed attitude, because that's always diagonally across from the main character through line. And it would put the relationship story in activities. There are, is kind of a handoff between his brother and the girlfriend that he's looking for, the model, as far as who's the influence character is. And both of them end up uh, changing at the end of the story. And he's most definitely a steadfast character. And it'll be interesting to see next week, the audience appreciation, because that involves the main character resolve, how that will play out. Uh, Maybe I'll find something else that will help define this better. But it's just interesting that the audience appreciations can actually help you get the dynamic questions or get the dynamic story points within a narrative just by looking at how an audience appreciates what's going on within a story. And I'll be making this a future story forming series for Sing Street because it, it does have a really strong story form. And I'll go through and show exactly how I was able to come up with these story points just by using these audience appreciations and figuring out the dynamic questions. And then going from there to the structural, it was uh, a piece of cake, it was much easier. So be looking for that on the site. And that'll do it for analysis this week. Uh, I would definitely see nice guys if you want to laugh, if you want to have some fun. Uh, the narrative breaks down towards the end because of the dual main character through lines. Uh, there is some resolve in there, but you know, without knowing whose shoes you're supposed to be in, it becomes a very schizophrenic experience. But I would definitely check out Sing Street. It's very positive, very uplifting, great story form, great acting. And if you enjoy 80s music like you should, it's a fantastic film. I want to get into tendency, which is an audience appreciation, much like the last two weeks that we've discussed. Last week we discussed the the nature of a story, uh, whether or not it was overwhelming or surmountable, and the week before that we discussed audience reach, which you know by a combination of the story limit. And the main character's mental sex or problem-solving style, you can actually determine what kind of audience will show up. And the interesting thing is, which is you know basically what I just did in the analysis of Sing Street, is you can work backwards. So if you just put yourself in the shoes of the audience, and you think, well, okay, was were things surmountable or were they overwhelming? Does uh, th- this film feel like it's for everybody or just a certain a certain set of the population? Or when we get into uh, tendency today was the main character more willing or unwilling to participate in the story's events, and this is interesting because Dramatica is the first theory of story that looks at story objectively, which is why most writers they they have trouble when they first come to it because they're used to being within the heads of their characters and answering these question questions from a subjective point of view. You know, so when it says you know what is what are the overall story character's concerned with, you know, you put yourself in the the shoes of the people that are within the conflict and say, well, I think they're concerned with the future. I think they're concerned with obtaining, but really it's what the author sees as being what the characters are concerned with, which might seem, well, what's the difference? And the difference is is you're kind of holding the story in your hands. It's this like entity, this object. It's actually, if you think of it like a little tiny mind that you're holding in your hands and you're looking at it and seeing which synapses are firing off and which uh, processes are being codified. That's what a story really is. And Dramatica gives you a chance to be actually outside of the story mind and look into it to see what's actually going on there and creating problems. The problem with being within the story, within more subjective paradigms of story, like the hero's journey or save the cat or anything like that, is by virtue of its definition, subjectivity carries with it blind spots. Uh, You know, the, the only way you have motivation to participate in, in what you do is because there's something that you're blind to. That's the meaning of a subjective experience. Objective view, you, you get to see everything. You get to see all those blind spots. That's why you can have story holes. You have story holes because you're too busy being within the minds of the character and you kind of need to step outside of it. And that's what Dramatica offers. That's the great thing about it, is it gives you that objective viewpoint. Now, when you first read the definition, it might sound like something you might be familiar with. Dramatica defines tendency as the degree to which the main character feels compelled to accept the quest. Not all main characters are well-suited to solve the problem in their story. They may possess the crucial element essential to the solution, yet not possess experience in using the tools needed to bring it into play. So, if you are familiar with the hero's journey, uh, which you should be, and then quickly forget it, is you might think that this has something to do with the refusal of the call sequence, right? Right before he crosses the threshold into his special world, or new world, I guess, whatever world it is. He he refuses he or she, right? It's not always he. Yes, it's always he. He refuses the call because, whatever, he's afraid of entering the, the new world. And so you might think that willing or unwillingness has something to do with it. And then, of course, you go to Dramatica, and you look at a film like Star Wars and you see that Luke is willing that he doesn't refuse the call and then you just completely throw your hands up and again this seems like another story point that probably wasn't thought out too clearly. Now I don't think this is as bad as last week with the positive feel and negative feel but I do feel like there might be a better way to look at this which we'll get into that I discovered while I was actually writing this. What it comes down to is the main character's drive to participate lies in a combination of the character's preference to solve problems and the specific type of plot points that drive a story forward. So for those of you familiar with Dramatica, tendency is a combination of the main character's approach juxtaposed against the story driver of a story. So let's first look at the main character's approach. Some main characters prefer to solve problems externally first, while others prefer to change themselves internally first. Now, main characters can do both. They can solve problems externally and they can change themselves. But each of them will have a preference for one or the other. Now why is that? Well, the reason for it is is when we have our own personal issues, when we you know sense a problem, or basically we create a problem, it automatically creates a solution, right? Just the same way that black doesn't exist without white, problems don't exist without solutions. So once you identify where a problem is, you also identify where that solution is as well. So if you feel like you have an external problem, you'll see an external solution as the answer to that problem, and likewise with an internal problem, you'll see an internal solution as as a means to solving that. Take for instance, like William Wallace, Mel Gibson in Braveheart, right? There's not uh, a whole lot of considering going on there, right? There's a lack of action on people's parts, and so he's going to take action. No amount of internal changing is going to change that. Or you could look at uh, Trey, the Cuba Gooding Jr. character in Boys in the Hood, or Ned in Body Heat. Uh, One wants to get out and one wants to get in, and, you know, that requires a a physical, external approach. You You can't solve either of those problems by an internal approach. And that's why those characters would be considered doers in Dramatica, because their preference is to act first and think later. But that's only in regards to their personal problem, which we'll get into in a little bit. Contrast this with somebody like Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network, or Todd Anderson, which is the Ethan Hawke character in Dead Poets Society. Okay, when it comes to a deposition, you know, surviving that, or trying to hide your shyness from, you know, your elite boarding school, a a beer approach is much more effective. I mean, you you know your problem is an internal problem, and so you double down on, you know, your charisma, or hiding behind that mask of shyness, you know, kind of changing yourself and adopting yourself to everybody else, so you don't have to put yourself out there. That is a beers approach, and that's why Mark Zuckerberg, with the Jesse Eisenberg character, and Todd Anderson in Dead Poets Society, that's why they're considered beers. Now, I said this is in regards to their personal problem. Cage, which is the Tom Cruise character from Edge of Tomorrow, or Live, Repeat, Die, as it is uh, in streaming land now, he's considered a beer. When we went and did the analysis of that film, it was clear to us that he's a beer character. What that means is, his personal issues, which in this story was you know what people think of him and you know their appraisals of him and whether or not he he can accept that that kind of thing that's his personal issue and his personal problem. seeing that as his where his problem is, his first approach is to be and change himself. That doesn't mean that as the protagonist in the objective story, he's not going out there and actually taking action, which is what the overall story required. but for him himself uh, when it comes to solving his own personal problems he would prefer to change himself. The main character's approach, and therefore the tendency of the main character to participate or refuse to join the call to adventure, focuses solely on the personal issues of the main character, which again is just another reason why the hero's journey fails to be sufficient enough for describing the building blocks of a narrative. And now we come to the second part of tendency, which is the story driver. So in addition to their familiarity with the inept refusal of the call, many writers are familiar with key plot points in a story. They know about the inciting incident, they know about the midpoint, uh, they know about the concluding event, and of course they know about the first act turn and the second act turn. And that neatly divides a narrative into four sections, or four acts. So most people understand this, all professional writers get this. And, you know, whether or not you believe it or not, it seems like, you know, if I'm able to find that first act turn and that second act turn, I can actually finish this story in time and get it under deadline. But what they probably don't all realize is the fact that all of these plot points are always of the same type they're either all actions or they're all decisions and those actions or decisions force the other thing so they're either all actions that force decisions to be made or they're all decisions that force actions to be made and again why is that well if you look at a story as this little mind that you hold in your hand you'll see it as a single human mind trying to solve an inequity and so this model while it could be exploded out into two hours or a 600 page novel really theoretically just happens in an instance. You know, it's just one firing of the synapses. And how do we go about either problem solving or or justifying that problem away. And this is why story drivers fall into either all actions or all decisions. Because a story mind models resolution of a specific external or internal conflict. I mean, stories can have both. But when it comes to the model of the story mind, it's actually just modeling one or the other. While the mind experiences several billion internal and external narratives a day, a single narrative can only model one or the other. That is why when you look at short-term 12, pitch perfect, inside out, and big, all those require action to push their narrative forward. When it comes to troubled teens, you know, whether it's inside a facility in short-term 12, a singing competition in pitch perfect, or, you know, being trapped in an adult body as in big, It requires external action to accomplish anything. Even in Inside Out, working through the internal workings of a teenage mind calls for joy and sadness to engage in physical activity. They have to kind of get back to headquarters up there at the top. If they tried to think their way through it, uh, you know, Riley would have had a complete psychological breakdown. But action is not the only way to work through a narrative which is interesting because the story driver used to be called story work. So it's the work that the mind has to go through in order to resolve the conflict at hand. Sometimes the narrative potential of a story slowly diminishes as actions continue to be taken until someone comes along and makes a major decision and the conflict starts up again. A perfect example of this is Field of Dreams. So deciding to undercut his crops, then deciding to leave with a crazed gunman, deciding to leave the dream world to help a choking kid, and finally deciding to follow ghosts into a cornfield, the major plot points of Field of Dreams resuscitates the narrative drive from one act to the next. It's decisions that keep it happening. So the decision to cut the crops creates all kinds of actions, the brother-in-law coming over and trying to talk him out of it, all these things, until finally that final decision not to sell basically wraps all things up. Same thing with Crazy Stupid Love with Steve Carell. You know, usually a narrative that's focused on divorce focuses on the actions that force decisions to be made. You know, there's usually some illicit actions going on, and then that forces someone to make the decision to leave. Here, there wasn't anything like that. It was the decision to leave that forces all kinds of other actions. In order to work his way through the process, he must decide how to dress, decide who to date, and ultimately decide whether or not to hold out for the one that he loves. That's what actually ends the narrative. Turns out a narrative initiated by a decision requires a decision to wrap it all up. When you juxtapose the main character's personal preference for solving problems with the work required to drive a narrative forward towards resolution, you find two categories of main characters, those willing to do the work necessary and those unwilling to do the work necessary. Doers are more willing to participate in an action-driven story. Beers are more willing to participate in a decision-driven story. And conversely, doers are unwilling to participate in a decision-driven story, and beers are unwilling to participate in an action-driven story. At least that's how Dramatica positions the tendency story point. So while Luke certainly refuses the call in the classic hero's journey, he absolutely is willing to take the action needed. And that's because his personal issues lie in the external situation. He's on one side of the galaxy, and all his buddies are on the other having fun, and that's why he whines, because he wants to get out of there. The only way to get out of there is to take action. So to overcome his own personal problems, he has to take action, which is great because in order to blow up the Death Star and fight everybody, you're going to have to take a lot of action. So that works great. He's very willing to participate. Same thing with Woody in Toy Story. You know, all he wants to do is play with his best friend. That's an activity. That's an action that needs to be taken. And, you know, when they get lost to get back home, they've got to actually engage in actions to get back home. So he's very willing to participate. Same thing with Clarice in Silence of the Lambs. She just wants to save those screaming lambs, which is so coincidental that her job requires her to save lambs. And so it works out perfect. She's very willing to participate in the story. Likewise, when it comes to decision stories, you know, often living under oppression often requires one to adapt themselves to the environment. You know, Taking action, especially when you have an oppressive state situation, usually doesn't end up too well for you. And two foreign films, uh, The Lives of Others and The Counterfeiters, both feature decision-driven stories and beer main characters. They've found a way to participate because of their own personal problems that they're dealing with. You know, Weasler in Lives of Others, he suffers from very low opinion of himself and can adapt himself to kind of, you know, be able to do the job that he does. While Solomon in The Counterfeiters, you know, he suffers from a psychology just bent on survival. It doesn't matter who he manipulates or what he has to do. That's how he gets by. And those internal techniques, that's what he needs to be able to survive in the concentration camp. But it's when we turn to the examples of unwilling main characters that the concept of tendency starts to break down. You know, if you look and you put in uh, doers in decision stories, two examples you get are Dr. Richard Kimball, Harrison Ford from The Fugitive, and you get Jake Gitz, Jack Nicholson from Chinatown. Now, I wouldn't really call Dr. Richard Kimball unwilling to participate in the story's events. He seems very willing to prove his innocence. And same thing with Jake Gitz. You know, he, he might not love being, you know, cut, but he's trying to figure things out. He seems willing to participate, you know, whatever it takes. So those don't sound... Correct. And same thing with Trey from Boys in the Hood. He seems willing. And Lester from American Beauty, Kevin Spacey character, he seems very willing. I mean, he's not, he doesn't want to work, but he certainly is, you know, motivated to do stuff. And what about Rocky Balboa? He's considered an unwilling character in the first Rocky. And this is the problem I ran into when I started to write the article. I was, all prepared to defend willing and unwilling. But when I hit unwilling, it just didn't sound right to me. And it was even worse when I tried beers in action stories. Chris Kyle, which is Bradley Cooper from American Sniper, is not an unwilling character. I mean, if there ever was a more willing character, he would be it. Or Becca from Pitch Perfect, you know, the Anna Kendrick character, she wants to participate in the singing competition. But, you know, when I really thought about it, she was definitely resistant to the narrative. And that's when I started to think maybe it's not willing or unwilling, maybe there's something about the energy of the current that runs through a dramatic circuit of a story, which is what is actually being seen here. And that's when I came up the idea of replacing these with resistance and flow, or resistant and flow. So remember earlier, I was talking about a complete narrative as a model of a single human mind trying to solve a problem, right? And then refer to last week's article where I talked about how this model already has time factored in. Remember that the story form has time built into it. Though it may look like a single set of story points defining the state of things, it simultaneously delineates the passage of time through the mental processes of a single human mind trying to solve a problem so when we're reading the tendency of the main character what the audience is really seeing is the resistance or flow of the main character's personal issues within the dramatic circuit of the narrative some main characters gum up the works with their personal problems while others help facilitate the flow of conflict resolution you you just have to think of it like a dramatic circuit those four through lines the main character overall story influence character relationship story through line they all work as potential resistance current and outcome or power and you're creating a circuit there. And the question is, is the main character circuitry, but that part of the circuitry is, is it clogging things up? Is he creating more resistance? He or she creating more resistance? Or is it facilitating more flow through the narrative? Is it actually helping things out? And I think that works better than willing or unwilling. Because when you look at Dr. Richard Kimball or Jake Gitz, you can definitely see them hampering the flow of things. You can see them building up resistance. You know kimball's constant need to prove his innocence is kind of like ugh, it's just kind of messing things up and gets is always getting into trouble by sticking his nose literally in places it shouldn't be right so you can see him his their personal issues are kind of building up resistance to the flow of narrative same thing with chris kyle in american sniper uh the tom cruise character in edge of tomorrow and even jason Bourne in the original Bourne identity you know their personal issues are what is creating blockage within the respective stories And that's why it's so important, you know, why each main character, there's a reason why they're the main character in the story because they're essential to the dramatic circuitry of that narrative. So with resistance and flow in mind, you can look back and see Woody and Clarice, you know, you can see them and even, you know, same thing with Weasler, Sorowich and Skywalker, they're facilitating flow and their narratives surge smoothly because the way they had grown accustomed to dealing with their own personal problems. That's why the narrative flowed so well, because their personal problems facilitated a surge in that current. And I think this might be a better way to look at tendency. And looking back at Sing Street now, uh, you know, instead of willing or unwilling, sure, he was willing to participate, and that definition works out well. But most definitely, he facilitated so much flow in that story, facilitated so much flow in the narrative that I would definitely put him in that position. Definitely a doer in an action story. I mean, he made everything happen because that was his way of getting out of the unique situation that he was in. So more than just refusing a call, a main character's unwillingness to participate in a narrative results in a greater resistance and dramatic buildup to any potential conflict. Conversely, a willingness to do what is needed facilitates flow and circulation of that potential so when it comes to defining the dynamic story points within your story just think does the main character's personal problems do they build up a resistance to the narrative drive of your story or do they facilitate the flow do they allow things to move smoothly through that narrative that's it for this week thank you so much for listening Uh, once again if you have any questions feel free to call in on the narrative first podcast line you just go to narrativefirst.com slash podcasts you'll see a button there on the right the message and i will put you on the air if you're interested in learning more be sure to check out that free email course and of course look to the show notes for that link have a great week and we will see you next time